0: Welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today I'm joined by Shannon Lore of Factory 45. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. Yeah. Um, for those who don't already know who you are, um, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Shannon
1: Lohr. I am the founder of Factory 45, the online business school for sustainable fashion brands. Um, so I have a program called Factory 45 that takes people through idea stage to launching a sustainable and ethical fashion brand. Um, and we do that with uh, a a full online program, and then also alumni mentors that work with each of our entrepreneurs through one-on-one mentorship and consulting. We have live classes twice a week, and we really go from starting with just an idea in your head to raising money to fund your first production
0: run. Wonderful. And I know a couple of my clients that I've worked with and quite a few podcast guests have gone through your program and loved it. So it's exciting to get to like, talk to you and, and hear more about what you do with Factory 45.
1: Yeah, I, I actually saw someone recently come up on your Instagram and, who was a Factory 45-er. So lots oh, nice. of overlap.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of in the sustainable, ethical fashion space is a little bit of, you know, a small world in many ways. It is. Mm-hmm. So kind of backing up, what, how did you get started in all of this? Like, do you have a background in the fashion industry or yeah, what brought you to, what piqued your interest in sustainable fashion?
1: Yeah, I don't have a a fashion background. Um, I graduated, graduated from college with a um, journalism degree. So um, the most that I could identify with the fashion industry was that, you know, I would get done with classes on a Friday, and I would go to Forever 21, and I would (laughs) buy a dress, and I would wear it that night, and then I would throw it into the back of my closet. And I had no idea... The well, many many problems with that, but first, firstly, the waste, and then also just the model of fast fashion that you, fast fashion is essentially designed to make you feel out of trend after one wear or one week. There are now 52 trends a, a year, um, mm-hmm. so learning that and then realizing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to start my own business. I didn't really know what that looked like, but I ended up uh, launching a fashion brand with a co-founder back in 2010. It was okay. very difficult. We really got, you know, so many kind of proverbial doors slammed in our face because we weren't in the industry. We didn't know how to talk the talk or walk the walk. Mm -hmm. and it took us a year and a half to set up our supply chain so once we did do that and we were able to we ended up launching a kickstarter campaign to pre-sell our signature product um, which ended up being the highest funded fashion project in kickstarter history at the time but it was kind of this whirlwind amazing first go at entrepreneurship but it made me realize it should be easier to do this. It should be easier for people to start clothing companies that are sustainably and ethically made from the beginning. And that's what led me to start Factory 45.
0: I love it. So yeah, what were some of the things? Um, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but what were some of the things that you realized through launching your own brand that was that then kind of fueled the and showed you what the needs were when you began factory 45. Like I guess I, what were some of the biggest like challenges when you were starting that brand?
1: Yeah, from a supply chain standpoint We were purists when it came to sustainability, which I always say now, like there's no such thing as perfectly sustainable. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're making something new, it has an impact. And so our job is to try to reduce that impact as much as possible. And then as your brand grows, you can improve along the way, but going into it. And again, this was 2010, 2011. So definitely not where the sustainable fashion industry is today. It was so much harder to find, quote unquote, sustainable fabrics that fit our guidelines. It was so much harder to find a factory in the U.S. We ended up setting up a supply chain within a 50 mile radius in North Carolina, which was really like unheard of at the time.
0: Yeah, Um, And and not every not every state or city is able to do that. But yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah, the textile belt of America is still alive and well in the Carolinas, um, Mm -hmm. which not many people knew um but anyway so the supply chain side of it and then i think just the pieces of the puzzle that have to come together when you're creating a physical product it's like no mm-hmm. other business you can possibly start because as you know very well there's the patterns that need to be made mm-hmm. there're the samples that need to be made there's all the materials that need to come together first to even get to the point of making that final sample then you have to find a factory that's going to create this product for you in quantity. So just the learning curve of, of it all. I again was a journalism major, knew nothing about manufacturing, but sort of learned mm-hmm. as I as I went, and um, that is essentially what Factory Forty Five is now. It, it teaches people the process. It's it's a business school, but we really dive into what it is like to, to manufacture a sewn product, because most people, unless you're in that industry, don't know all the components and and everything it takes.
0: Yeah. And that's so true. I mean, even like I have a degree in fashion design and, you know, there are merchandising degrees and now more schools offering kind of fashion business degrees, but in a traditional fashion design education, you're not even exposed to kind of the whole, supply chain of what needs to be done to start a business it's more about the design and maybe a little bit of you know technical design and development but exactly there's that whole other side of you don't just need to you know know what you're going to make and and come up with the design but it's you the business and how to how to fund it and how to set up the logistics and how to market and exactly sell and
1: and on all of that it, and that's the thing is like, I, I started factory 45 with the intention that it would be for people who didn't have a fashion background, but mm-hmm. now we've had over the years, I started in 2014, so many people who join straight out of fashion school or a few years out of fashion school. Cause that's exactly right. They're like, I know how to do a technical drawing. I know pattern mm-hmm. making, but I don't know how to start a business. So Mm -hmm. it's the business side, again, the supply chain side that we really focus on um, for people who consider themselves fashion designers and people who also don't have a fashion background at all.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's so cool. I see that as a niche as well. I work with a lot of designers or founders that don't have a formal fashion design background either. And are coming more on the business side and like creating this product idea to solve a need. And it's really cool to see um, just kind of the two sides of, you know, when you're working with like a, a more creative designer with that background versus the business or entrepreneurship background, it's fun to work with both. Yeah. And it's smart
1: that the people who know that they don't have a fashion background, you know, they're more on the business side that they are smart enough to outsource to a professional pattern maker, to not try to like hack it together themselves, to know Mm -hmm. the value in, in how much it does take thought process time into creating the pattern that will essentially become your product that you're selling and how important that is to get right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that, that brings up kind of a question that I have of in, in, like, how is there a balance? Cause I know, um, factory 45, you know, it's walking through everything, but I know you take, um, kind of approach to don't try to do everything all at once, like do what you need to do to like get your product out get it tested, raise the funding for production. Like don't order a thousand units of something Mm -hmm. before you, you know, even started talking about it to an audience. Um, So kind of that minimum viable product in a way, it sounds like Mm -hmm. your approach. So um, how do you advise brands to and founders to balance kind of getting their product out into the world to get the feedback with in kind of the simplest, easiest way possible without like overcomplicating things with you kind of mentioned too, like building that long term, like setting up the supply chain that can grow with you, getting the patterns and the technical assets together that will be the foundation of future development and kind of kind of the balance between, I guess, setting up the long term business um, for growth and for kind of, you know, creating a sustainable, sustainable yeah. business, mm-hmm. but then also not being so focused on that, that like, you're not getting your product out there to really test the concept first. How do you balance kind of those two things? Yeah, I
1: think I think it can be done in phases. And so sort of the direction we take in Factory 45 is like there's that initial research, market research, talking to your customer, building your audience phase, right? So mm-hmm. that's when you can sort of get, you know, pull your customers on, Instagram stories send out a survey to your email list start to talk to your customers you know at a coffee shop whatever mm-hmm. it is sort of gathering that initial research and feedback about the concept and even maybe about the designs with that said your mom your grandma they're going to tell you this is the best idea ever your friends are going to say oh yeah i would totally buy that and then when it comes to actually open their wallets and pay mm-hmm. for the thing that's a whole different story, right? So you want to kind of take that research phase with a grain of salt, but it is valuable in the beginning. Then you get into product development, right? Like you've narrowed down what you want to start with. This is the design you want to start with, or maybe it's three designs. And that's when you need to kind of take the plunge, not knowing exactly how it's going to go. You need samples, you need patterns, right? Even before Mm -hmm. you get to the point of a pre-sales campaign because you need the photography, you need the videos, you need to exactly, show your customers yeah. what the product is going to be. So samples, yes, you need them. Patterns, yes, you need them. That's just an investment you're going to make up front. But then there's this build up to the launch, right, where you're not purchasing wholesale fabric up front. You're not putting in a production run you are, or a PO, a purchase order to go into Mm -hmm. production, you're just starting to put your feelers out there and to start emailing, calling factories, calling people, fabric suppliers, and just talking, building the relationship. I think that's so underestimated in our industry. I agree. It's everything, right? Like the relationship building, we want one conversation to like be the solution. And that, you know, that one interview with that factory, that's the factory I'm going to work with. And that's very rare for it to just pan out that way. You need to put in the time and the relationship building. And then when you do get to the point of launching your pre-sale campaign with photos of your samples, with videos of your samples, then you have probably by that point a factory lined up that if you hit your minimum order quantity for your pre-sale, you'll be ready to get on their production calendar. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of moving parts and not everything goes in this, you know, linear process, right? But there are ways you can kind of set yourself up along the way so that When it does seem like this minimum viable product is actually going to be viable and you're going to have the money to invest in a production run, that you've done the things along the way so that you can hit go, you can get on that production calendar, you can purchase that wholesale fabric, that bulk fabric order, and be able to go into production.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense of build, kind of build the relationships from the beginning, but get the feedback and test the concept before investing in that bulk order. Exactly. Yeah. So what is one thing that maybe, you know, many of the entrepreneurs you work with in Factory 45, like what is maybe one or two things that they are kind of coming in worrying about that you've, you know, with your experience is not actually that important. Like it's not the thing they should be focusing on.
1: Oh, I love this question. No one's ever asked me this before. Um, (laughs) It's always like the trademark, the patent, the logo, Mm -hmm. like those things are hefty investments that, you know, it costs a few hundred dollars for a trademark. It costs a few hundred dollars for a logo. It costs multiple thousand dollars for uh, a patent, Patent you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So those are just things that Gosh, I can think of a hundred other ways to spend that money that would get you closer to market and closer to launch than those things. And and the Mm -hmm. truth is when you go to market, even if you have a trademark, even if you have a patent, someone can rip off your design. They can change, you know, you have two buttons on your design. They add three buttons. You have a, v, a v-neck they make a crew neck they ripped off your design and your patent will not hold up in court so mm-hmm. in in the majority of cases so it's and just and it's
0: expensive to actually oh uh, take them like, to court in the first take place. them to court yeah yeah exactly like the chances
1: of you taking someone to court yeah exactly very good point so uh, those things i you know you know in full transparency i didn't trademark factory 45 the, my business name until I was four years into business. So mm-hmm. some, some would say, you know, that was a little late, but, but truly there are just so many other ways to spend your money on marketing and other things that are going to move the new, move the needle and, and be much more important in the long run.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's worth like checking, you know, like USPTO, doing a yeah yeah exactly yeah. like check to see if if it's already trademarked by somebody so that way you don't start for marketing sure. a name that you're not going to be able to use long term but yeah to actually spend the money to apply for a trademark if you know there isn't one for that name for you know sure. you don't necessarily have to do that right yeah. away you can spend your money even <laughs> better um, exactly. awesome um, so on the flip side what is something that you see entrepreneurs underestimating the importance of?
1: Building an audience before they launch. Mm. Um, this is the thing where, thankfully, I don't see it in Factory 45 because it's like one of the first things we do. We're doing that mm-hmm. like at the same time as fabric sourcing. But when I see other people, let's say on Instagram or other, other brands, I'm on their email list and they think that, oh, I'm just going to create a Kickstarter campaign and I'll just – build the campaign and then I'll get all of these orders or I'll just build a Shopify site and then I'll start selling and I'll get all these orders. It very rarely pans out that way. Again, I, Googled, mm-hmm. I sound like a broken record, but um, it's, you have to build an audience before you launch. And thankfully it's easier than it has ever been before to do that. You can You know, we have social media, we have email lists, we have YouTube, we have podcasts, you know, all these things, Mm -hmm. all these marketing strategies you can use to build an audience before you are selling. So the idea is that you're building this audience months and months before you have an ask, right? So you're Mm -hmm. nurturing, you're connecting, you're finding your customer, you're taking them through your journey, you're sharing your origin story, you're walking them through the whole process. So that by the time you launch and you say, "Hey, I have something to sell," will you buy it? Essentially, they are invested in your journey. They're invested in your process, and they feel a part of it. So it's a no-brainer for them to say, "Yes, I'm." You know, I've been waiting months for this product to release. I'm so excited, and that's when you know they do feel a part of it and will 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 buy from you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just that kind of not just the community and nurturing that, but I feel like it's almost like you said, they feel a part of it. Like, you know, I, I know some friends, um, or like my sister back to Kickstarter for something and it, it's almost like you're proud to say like yeah, I was one of the original yeah you know, like Kickstarter supporters you know I've been following this brand since like before they were cool you know it's totally. kind of a it's I mean not not quite a status symbol but in some ways it is like they feel like it's like their baby too.
1: yes it's the social proof it's the yeah the camaraderie. I think back to Veta so Veta was a mm-hmm. factory 45 alum. Um, she, Kara, the founder came through in 2015 and now they're like the golden child of like sustainable capsule wardrobes, right? Like mm-hmm. it, 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 they became this amazing brand, but they launched with the Kickstarter and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, you know, the customers they got in that first Kickstarter campaign, they ended up raising over almost $90,000, oh, but wow. those customers are still customers today right all, the, mm-hmm. all these years later so um it, it to your point it, it is exactly that it's like you feel proud of being being really an early investor
0: mhm yeah that's so cool great way to build an audience but also get an involved long term yes. support like fans of your brand yeah and just to
1: clarify it doesn't have to be kickstarter you know that's the one that we kind of always go-to in terms of thinking about like crowdfunding and pre-selling, but you can pre-sell on your own Shopify website. You can pre-sell on iFundWomen, which is another crowdfunding site. It doesn't necessarily, you can do a virtual pop-up on Instagram. It doesn't have to be Kickstarter. It's just mm-hmm. more the concept of pre-selling itself. I always say it doesn't matter the platform. It's about the strategy of pre-selling. That's what's most important.
0: hmm Yeah, so true. Um, so I wonder, like, you know, as as brands, if they're, you know, building this audience and kind of sharing the journey and maybe a little bit of behind the scenes and giving their, you know, maybe newsletter updates of like, I found the perfect fabric or, you know, whatever they're sharing. Um, do you ever see founders um, kind of feeling like vulnerable about sharing the process or putting their designs out into the world? Because that's something that I've seen from designers of like it's a very personal moment for them to yeah. be able to put something out and like you know it's the risk of failure it's the fear of like what if people don't like it or just like I've worked so hard on it it's very personal to me so what ha- have you seen the same thing in the founders that you work with and how do you have any tips for like how to kind of work past that and yeah, I see it yeah. every day. <laughs> I see it every
1: day. I mean, it's it's the it's fear, it's vulnerability, right? That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's we feel tied to the business in a way that is so personal that for someone to not like the design or the product, it's almost as if they're saying they don't like us. That's mm-hmm. that's how it can feel in early entrepreneurship. And so it takes time, but the the sooner you can get to the point where you are not your business, you are not mm-hmm. your product, and you can create that separation, the healthier your mindset is going to be, your entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and it took me even years to do this right like Mm -hmm. I had to separate myself from factory 45 as I was getting customer feed client feedback really and iterating and changing and improving and getting to to the getting the program to the place that it is today I had to separate myself so that that constructive criticism or feedback I didn't take so personally because Mm -hmm. when you when you have that lack of separation you're not open to feedback that can make your business better and that's mm-hmm. the thing is you're it's so rare that your product is going to be or your design is going to be perfect The first time, right? Especially Mm -hmm. in the sample making process. Is the first sample ever the final sample? No. Almost never.
0: Never. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Maybe once or twice it has been, but only when it's like built off of like a block from a previous successful style. Like,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so it's the same in even going into production and like you think, oh, I have this final sample. It's perfect. This is what I'm going to sell for years. And In most cases, you're probably going to get feedback that is going to make the fit, the design, the functionality, the fabric better. Mm -hmm. So don't be so married to your idea that you can't see the better options along the way or the better, you know, other solutions, other roads to go down that can actually end up being better for you as the business and better for your customer.
0: Yeah, true. With putting your designs out there and being vulnerable, like, have you ever seen almost the opposite where somebody is so much chasing the feedback that they've like lost sight of like the core of their brand or idea? I don't see that as
1: often as I see people with their heads down and they're just like so committed to the original idea that they are not listening and then they end up launching and they have a fail to launch because it was, it was a product they wanted to be out in the world, but they didn't have enough positive customer feedback or advanced audience feedback Mm. to really make it worthwhile in the long run. Like there's so many things you can do along the way, even before you get to the point of launching that validate the idea and are at least like these breadcrumbs to get there that okay, I'm on the right track. Um, But I'm sure it happens. I I, I think that we can all get sucked in and I still do this. And I, you know, you get sucked into like, well, I could do this and I could do this. And what about that? Or why aren't I doing that? And it's okay to have those phases. Like I, I mm-hmm. wouldn't worry too much if you are sort of in that spiral of, of like almost like there's too much feedback. Just reroute back to your one page business plan, um, which is something we do in the beginning of Factory 45. And actually okay. we have a free template that we can give your listeners if um oh, if you wonderful. if you want to put them in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but the one page business plan is really just it's a one pager. You don't need a 40 page business plan unless you're pitching investors or mm-hmm. looking for VC money. You really just need this one page that really, it goes back to like your why, your mission, your who your customer is, really the important things that will center you and ground you when you do feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much feedback and there's so many different directions I should go. Where am I? Right. You go mm-hmm. back to the one page business plan. Maybe you change a few things but really you get back there to ground yourself to the original why and the original idea.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense cuz I I think um like having that kind of what what this business is, what do you want, you know, what is important, who the customer is, you know, what your mm-hmm. core values are and like even being a sustainable business, you know, like you said you can't do everything, so like what are the avenues of sustainability that you want to pursue right away you know can really help like you said ground the decisions and and kind of filter the feedback through like does this help me accomplish these goals that I set out for my business exactly well said mm-hmm. yeah that's great um so with sustainability um you know you can't do everything obviously so how like, is it tricky for people to, like, pick what avenues to do um, or what sustainable things to focus on? And is how do you recommend brands talk about or connect with their audience about their sustainability initiatives in a way that doesn't come across as greenwashing because i know there's like so much that has come up recently even with like the h&m lawsuits about greenwashing Mm -hmm. and i don't know you know i feel like if you're wanting to start a sustainable brand you're not doing it just for the marketing but are there ways that you recommend like how to communicate those values of sustainability in a really authentic way
1: yeah. Get specific. So it's no longer enough to just say we're a sustainable brand. You need mm-hmm. to say why, what makes you sustainable? And then really the what I like to see is brands that say how they're not as sustainable and what they're doing to improve, whether it's mm-hmm. looking for a different type of fabric or reworking their shipping or packaging or whatever it is that is transparency and i think Mm -hmm. transparency in the fashion industry is actually more important than sustainability and ethics because when you're transparent the sustainability and ethics are going to fall into place because of course you're not going to tell people that you're using you know like polyester and then you know working with factories that don't pay their workers for example the transparency yeah, you, do, you
0: don't want to you don't want to publish that so. exactly yeah exactly
1: so if you have transparency then the other things will fall into place and again being specific about what makes you sustainable what your factories are like I love when brands include photos or videos of a factory tour um, working with their sewers talking to their sewers you can do this on Instagram reels you can do it on lives there's so many different ways now. We have so many opportunities to be transparent um,
0: Mm -hmm. in our
1: processes and supply chain. And then to the first part of your question, when you think about incorporating sustainability, you probably can't do all the things in the beginning. And so Mm -hmm. you also want to make sure that you're not sacrificing the product itself. You don't want to sacrifice the design, the fit, the functionality all of those things, the durability, because if the product is the most sustainable product, you know, it's perfect, it's perfectly sustainable Mm -hmm. (laughs) and nobody will wear it or it doesn't fit right or it falls apart, whatever it is, then it's not sustainable because it's just Mm going to end up being in, sitting in someone's closet or ending up in a landfill. So never, never sacrifice the product itself and incorporate sustainability along the way
0: yeah that's great advice and I I totally agree with you of you don't want this you don't want to be sustainable in a way that's sacrificing the quality because like even as you know a purchaser of fashion things myself like I always look for um uh, like a couple years ago I was looking for like a new pair of really supportive tennis shoes um and I was like, I want to get some that aren't like plastic and polyester and, you know, like I'd, I'd like to get something that's more sustainable, um, natural fiber, like upper if I can. And just the options that I had found at the time, and I was willing to spend more money on something that was more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, And, but even the products that I had like seen or tried, tried out at the time, just were not what I was looking for. And I was like, I really need a shoe that's supportive. Like, that's my, that's the first priority. So I ended up going with something that like did include some plastic. Um, And I wish I could have found something better. And, you know, maybe there are new options now. But it's like, I, I wasn't willing, like, I ended up getting the slightly less sustainable option just because it was more durable and more what I needed. And it's like, those are the shoes that I still wear and it's been years, yeah. you know? If you,
1: it, right. If they're going to last and you're going to wear them for years and years and years, as opposed to the more sustainable pair that you're going to wear for a few months, then mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> which one's more sustainable?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's great if you can be both, but yeah, right. definitely be functional and, and long, you know, long lasting. So that's great advice. So, you know, I I feel like with sustainable brands, they're also very, um, like they have a vision and like a mission ba- based in a way, or like their values are important to them. They're not just like making product for the sake of making product and earning money. What are some of the things that like are important to the entrepreneurs you work with, and like as you're creating maybe like as you're creating that business plan at the beginning of the program, um how do you help brands kind of like think through what's important to them and set those goals? And what's a good number of goals to have even? Yeah, I think, you know,
1: in the very beginning of Factory 45, we go through an overview of sustainability. And there are a few things to look at, right? There's the fabric, there's Mm -hmm. the packaging, there's the end life. And oftentimes, the entrepreneurs who apply to Factory Forty Five and, and enroll are already sustainability minded, so they come mm-hmm. in with an idea of how they want to incorporate sustainability. Sometimes they come in and they want to do every single thing, and then they realize that they have a t- have created a T-shirt that is now going to have to retail for three hundred dollars, right? <laughs> so it's like we have to scale it back a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The, for the most part, um, I think now a lot of it is like, I guess trends I'm seeing is end life. People are feeling, um, or they're just more aware now of like anything you make is going to end up somewhere, whether that's a landfill or whether Mm -hmm. it can be recycled into a new product or reworked into a new product, um, or sold secondhand, whatever it is. So that's one thing. Um, and then I think I'm also seeing brands steer away from, uh, synthetic fabric. So even like the recycled polyester, Mm -hmm. we're, we're learning more about, you know, microplastic shedding into the ocean and just different issues with that fabric. And so natural fibers are definitely more, uh, popular now in terms of people looking at, at plant-based fabrics. Um, Mm -hmm. And then what, and what was the rest of your question? Sorry.
0: Oh, just like how, how do you help brands choose what their goals are? And is there kind of a good number of goals or a certain, um, even like customer concept, like how focused is their business concept or plan?
1: I think I really emphasize the importance of an of it evolving, of goals evolving, and mm-hmm. going back to have your why, right? Like know mm-hmm. your overarching why of, of why you're doing, this, why you're starting this brand. But I but I'm not a big like goal setter. I think I'm more of here are the benchmarks. Here's what you need to get closer to really what you could say is the end goal. The one one mm-hmm. goal is to launch. So here are the benchmarks you need to hit getting to that place um, and then focusing on the tiny little steps that you have to take every day to get to each of those benchmarks.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, too, like with you and how you run Factory 45, um, what are some of the values that you base your business on? And like, how do those guide how you run Factory 45? It's a good
1: question. I think that I started, and you mean like in terms of just general, like not not just from a sustainability standpoint?
0: Yeah. Like any anything that's important to how you run Factory 45. Like what is, yeah. what I mean, what's your why? <laughs> yeah. My why is freedom of time. So mm-hmm. and that
1: has never changed. That has been the reason I became an entrepreneur was to have freedom over my time, my own schedule that I could decide what I wanted my days to look like, that I can close my computer at 2:30 in the afternoon and go pick up my son at school or mm-hmm. that you know if my if I have a 7-month-old daughter, if she's having a hard day, and she just needs to be with mom, then, you know, I can, I can, uh, shut down the computer and focus on her for the day. So Mm -hmm. I think that originally when I started, it was, I just wanted to be able to travel and to, you know, like Mm -hmm. live in spontaneity and, and, and have again, control over my time. And so the overarching why is still the same freedom of time, but what that looks like from my day to day has obviously changed as I've gotten married and had kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And today, it's still, you know, I would sac- i sacrifice profit for the sake of being able to employ people and for them to have a job they love, and for mm-hmm. um, me to not have to do every single thing in the business. You know, I'm the CEO of the business. I run the business. The business does not run me, um, mm-hmm. and that was a very important. Um, jumping off point for me. That was a transition I made really in 2020, where it was no longer me doing all the things. I hired a team. I have people around me now. And again, it sacrifices profit for me personally, but what I'm trading in dollars, I'm gaining in in time and 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 freedom.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that that like. I feel like with entrepreneurship, like traditionally, it's very much like how can you make a million dollars, you know, <laughs> um, or raise a million dollars or whatever it is. But that the nice thing about, you know, running your own company, you know, brand or in your case, more, I, I guess you fall under like education business um, or service business that you that profit and money is not the only thing you can gain like you can earn time and you can earn satisfaction or you can earn a career that you love and there are that I agree is one of the great things about having your own business
1: yeah and in the impact right it's like Mm -hmm. I gosh like I think about when I was starting my brand you know, over 10 years ago. And no one even knew what sustainable fashion was like, you didn't even use those two words Mm -hmm. together. It was an oxymoron. And now, seeing the brands that have launched through Factory 45 and the conversations those brands are sparking, the education they're doing for the consumer, you see how much the sustainable fashion movement has grown and expanded Mm -hmm. and gotten closer to the mainstream. And and so looking at sort of that overarching impact has been really cool and and very rewarding as well.
0: Yeah, I bet. And Cause you've been able to see some, you know, some of the brands that even you helped early on grow and continue to flourish and, and push that mission forward. Yeah. Yeah. So having helped launch um, so many sustainable fashion brands over the years, um, is there anything that you've noticed that distinguishes the brands that have been really successful from those that maybe didn't do as well?
1: There's two things and i try to tell everyone this up front and anyone even if you're not coming through the factory 45 program here you heard it here first mm-hmm. you either need to solve a problem for a customer so have a well, your problem solves a specific problem for someone
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you need to niche down to a small niche audience those are the two things that i see are brands uh, see more success when they do one of those two things. Um, I think back to Veda again, factory 45 alumni who has since you know they' they have grown and and they're doing amazing things. they started off with a very specific target customer. You can go back to their mm-hmm. Kickstarter page. it's veTTA. you can see who they were appealing to, right? So Mm -hmm. they knew who their customer was. They niched down. They knew that this product, you know, there's five pieces that could be worn for a make of a month's worth of outfits. They knew that wasn't going to be for everyone, but they found the person who it would be for. Um, Mm -hmm. and then going back to solving a problem, um, I can think of Poppy row, another factory, 45 Mm -hmm. alum, um, who, yeah, Crystal's really, been
0: on the podcast.
1: Oh, amazing. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can link to her episode too. Um, but you know, she saw that there was not inclusive sizing in the sustainable fashion space. And so she was one of the first brands to really expand the size range, um, to fit, you know, all women or you know, all people. So, um, I see. I see those two examples as brands that, yeah, have been more successful.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And i I totally with you on that, where (laughs) the brands that I've worked with that uh, seem the most successful are the ones that are super, super focused and attentive to their customer. Like, they're not trying to be everything to everybody. They're very focused on who is our customer, what does she want, what is her challenges, what is her lifestyle, you know, what is what other brands does she shop, you know, from where does she hang out? Like everything. Like the more you can know, even that seems unrelated to fashion and clothing, is actually super helpful in creating pieces that she'll love. Yeah. Awesome. Um so how what You mentioned that like Veta has like five pieces that can be worn as a capsule Um, and it brought up the question of what do you think is kind of an ideal collection size for a brand to first launch?
1: I think anything less than five pieces, five pieces or less, to be honest. And this always surprises people because they think they have to launch with like a 12 piece collection. And Mm -hmm. as you know, product development takes a ton of time. It's an investment. It takes money. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you, when you're first starting out, you don't need to have oftentimes a 12 piece collection can cause decision paralysis for your customer. Um, Mm -hmm. there, there also is more sourcing
0: challenges for you. If like each one is a
1: different fabric. Yeah. So many things. It used to be that we launched 12 piece collections because from like a merchandising standpoint, you were going to be in Nordstrom and you wanted the pants to match the top that matches the clutch that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just not not how it works anymore for most startups. You you're going to sell online. It's going to be through eventually through a Shopify site or an e-commerce store. So you just, it doesn't need to be that expansive. And I love brands that launch with one signature piece. I interviewed a Factory 45 alumni uh, today for uh, our live show on Instagram. Everyone can go back uh, the Instagram's Factory 45 Co. And um, Alice, you'll see Allison on there too. We <laughs> interviewed her. Um but we were talking about her launching with one signature product, right? And and that's what I did when I launched my Kickstarter campaign years ago. So it can work for, I would say, one to five pieces. I wouldn't do more than five pieces.
0: Awesome. And yeah, I'm. I agree with you that like kind of the, yeah, one to five is a great number to start with where you can really... Focus in on the problem you're solving and get feedback from your customer before spending all that investment, like you said, in something that, like, you may want to completely tweak or find a better fabric or, you know, change something about it the next time where you're not over-investing without the the data and the sales to fund it and uh, inform the future pieces. Yeah. Awesome. So I I know you look at, you know, we've talked about some like sustainable materials and how you take Factory 45 entrepreneurs through like Sustainability 101 at the beginning. Um, I'm curious if there are any new materials or innovations in the sustainability space that you're excited about.
1: Mm,
0: I am excited
1: about fabrics that are, made from old clothing. I am going to say mm-hmm. old clo- clothing, but repurposed clothing. So there's two ways of doing this. There's like the upcycled way, right? Where you kind of, it's like patchwork. You're maybe reworking like a men's dress shirt into a dress for a woman. This is Lottie, mm-hmm. um, who's a Factory 45 alumni, mm-hmm. L O T I, but that's, that's their whole um, mission is to make new clothing out of old clothing. Then there is the fabric side of it where t-shirts can now be broken down recycled and respun into new thread and reworked into fabric so that's Mm -hmm. really cool I think the more we can um again make you make new quote unquote new fabric it's not actually new but out of existing fabric I think that is is the is what I hope to be more of the future because it's less fabric going into landfills
0: yeah yeah And it's so cool I think to see some of the designs um that come from kind of the constraints of materials too like mm-hmm. I almost feel like it's easier to design when there are some of those constraints of like what can I do with this dress shirt you know yeah <laughs> like really it kind of it's like a creative exercise too where I think it's it's when you have infinite possibilities, it's almost like, what do I do? But when you have these, like, here's the materials I have. How can I, like, use these best with, you know, and make the most creative, interesting product out of it? Like, it can be really cool to see what designers come up with.
1: Yes. It's, it's like... It's like having a toddler, right? Like it, they they thrive around boundaries. When they can have freedom <laughs> within boundaries, so having those boundaries as a designer, I think you're exactly right. It, it's it's helpful because it, mm-hmm. it's a container in which you can you can be creative.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, how long does it usually take a brand to go from idea to launching their collection? And I guess also, how long is the Factory Forty Five program? So when
1: I launched Factory 45 in 2014, and I think it was until 2021, it was a six month program. So ended after six months. And what we saw was that's just not enough time. It's not enough time to launch a brand. Um, to build mm-hmm. up the audience, to be prepared to launch. And so in 2021, we changed the program so that you have a lifetime access. That's life lifetime for as long as the program is around, you have access to the program itself as well as the mentorship support. So that's yeah. something that's sort of unprecedented or not offered in the fashion education space. We're the only mm-hmm. program that offers that lifetime support as well as lifetime access to the program. So every yeah. Everyone is matched with an alumni mentor at the beginning of the program for one-on-one support. Again, this is something that is really not offered unless you're working with a private consultant um, for, for a lot more money than Factory 45 costs. So that's something we're we're really proud of. And, and it allows the journey of the brand to go the way it needs to go. If it needs to take longer, right? I always say mm-hmm. it's going to take minimum six months, more like 12 months. And Mm -hmm. if it takes that long, that's okay. right? I would so much rather a brand take 12 to 18 months to launch the right way than try to rush it and fail with a three-month launch. So Mm -hmm. um, it really depends on the amount of products that or designs that you're launching with and need to develop depends on if you're working on your brand full-time, or if you have another job or, mm-hmm. you know, most of our, our entrepreneurs in factory 45 have kids or they have jobs or they have life responsibilities. It's very rare that they're able to work on their brand full-time.
0: Okay. So, yeah. I was going to ask that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which I love because I think that's realistic, right? Mm -hmm. In most cases, you can't just up and quit your job and start to start a new business. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am very much, I'm very supportive of the people who want to keep their job. It could be a side hustle freelance. It doesn't really matter what it is. It could be a traditional nine to five job. And then at the same time work on their business. Um, Mm -hmm. because then you're not putting all the pressure on your business to make money right away right which is Mm -hmm. also usually pretty unrealistic it can take a while for a business to be profitable so and then you have money coming in from your real job quote unquote that can help to fund some of the initial startup costs for uh, patterns and samples and those types of things
0: yeah that's really smart and I think um, that's really helpful for people to hear that like a lot of these brands, like they did not start out full time and they were not profitable from the beginning because I think sometimes it can be tempting to just like jump all into something, but then there is so much more pressure on it's got to work, you know, and quickly that you might be in a position where you have to sacrifice the quality or what you're really wanting in order to kind of make the cash. And so it's nice to be it's it's i i also agree it's really nice to be able to have a Google. have a steady income and work on your business until the business gets to the point where it can support the rest of your life exactly you want you want to be you, you mentioned earlier it's like you want to be the ceo of your business not have your business run you yep exactly <laughs> mhm i totally agree um so what is the biggest challenge that you see facing sustainable brands today Money, you
1: know, that's everyone's (laughs) everyone's biggest challenge, and I think that's why I love the pre-selling model so much. and And I really discourage people from creating inventory and then selling it. Um, Mm -hmm. Pre-selling reduces your own financial risk. And it helps you test the market so that you know that you're going to be able to sell what you're creating. And then from a sustainability perspective, it ensures that you're not going to create all this inventory. And then it just going to end up sitting in your warehouse or your basement and not be sold. Um, So, you know, people who worry about having, oh, I don't have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to go into production. Great. Like you don't need that. You don't need that. You need some money up front. And I actually have a podcast episode um, for my own podcast. How much money do you need to start a fashion brand? So people can go Mm -hmm. back and kind of listen to that. And I break down some of the costs and what to expect, but um, you do not need those tens of thousands of dollars uh, up front. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And if you want to learn more about the pre-selling method, um, I also have a workshop, a free workshop that we can, maybe we can link to in your show notes as well, uh-huh. that you can sort of learn more about what it takes to pre-sell and what it's like to set up a pre-selling campaign.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um, So I have one more question that I always ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is, and it's a little bit different in your case, um, since you're not, don't have a fashion brand currently yourself. But, if you could communicate one value to the world through i'll I'll change it to the work you do with factory forty five. What would it be?
1: Start before you're ready. I mm. think um, we all, no matter what it is, like we ha- we all have dreams, we all have goals, right? And we're waiting for the perfect time, the perfect, relationship, the perfect place to live, the perfect time that our kids go off to school. Like we're waiting, 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 waiting. And we keep putting off the things that I think could just in general, make the world a happier place. If we were all working on something we felt passionate about and creative. Um, and of course there'll, there's many levels of that, right? Not everyone has the freedom of time to just work on a passion project. But no matter what it is, you can start before you're ready in small little increments that don't require huge amounts of time. But every day you can feel like, okay, I did one little thing to get me closer to that end goal or just not even worrying about the end goal, you know, just mm-hmm. appreciating the journey and the process. I was actually watching, um, there's this. Uh, show that just came to Netflix, a documentary called Stuts. It's like Jonah Hill, and, and in he's inter- like doing this documentary about him and his therapist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the therapist talks about how it's not about where we end up, right? Like the end, we're never gonna feel like we got to the end. I, I've been mm-hmm. doing Factory Forty Five for how many years, I, and I, I'm there's still places to go. I, I don't even feel like i reached the top of the summit. Mm -hmm. And in most cases in life, you're never going to feel that. So the key is to appreciate and enjoy the journey in getting there, because that is ultimately what is far more important than reaching that, reaching that summit or reaching that end goal. It's, it's Mm -hmm. appreciating the journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So cool. Well, this has been so fun, Shannon, to get to know a little bit more about your story and your kind of pick your brain about your expertise working with fashion brands. I know listeners will um, find this so valuable to their own businesses. Um, Where can people find out more about you online? Um, Factory45.co, that's our
1: website. We're opening applications to Factory45 on January 26th. Um, and we're also hosting a, the fashion business summit on that day, which is a one day, four hour event for early stage fashion brands. Um, so we'll have a registration page up soon, um, depending on when this, this episode airs. Um, but, um, I'm on Instagram at factory 45 ceo and then you can also listen to the start your sustainable fashion brand podcast that is available wherever you get your podcasts
0: wonderful i'm linked to all that and the other resources that we kind of came up throughout the episode in the show notes
1: awesome thank
0: you so much for having me allison yeah thank you so much for joining me today that's all for today thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend and if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values sent straight to your inbox, you can sign up for my email list at alisonheinis.com newsletter. That's alisonhoene scom slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.